I'm going to check if you can hear my heavy breathing. And if so, I'm going to put it on my OnlyFans account. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Cusper Club, the home for those in limbo. I'm Hannah. And I'm Nish. And every week we'll be discussing culture, society, and what it means to be in between generations. In today's episode, we'll be having tech talk, perhaps the most defining characteristic of what it means to have grown up in our modern era. From 24-hour news to OnlyFans, from Elon Musk to the metaverse, tech is everywhere. So let's talk about it. Plus, as usual, Toby's got some book recommendations and Carl's will be introducing our track of the week. All this still to come on today's episode of The Cusper Club. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> but these changes happening make me realize one new thing. Welcome back to Casper Club. We talked a bit last week about the differences between our generation and our parents' generation, but we sort of only briefly discussed the consequences of them actually growing up differently with regards to tech, uh, such as how our brains have actually developed differently because of this. Um, It's an obvious gap that can be seen in the way previous generations usually take a lot longer to pick up new tech, for example, and how to use it, whereas it comes a lot more naturally to younger people. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is based on the sorts of behaviours and habits that we pick up. You know, for us, everything is very tactile. There's a learned behaviour that we just get because a lot of tech tends to follow the same rules. Um, Whereas if that's something that you never grew up with, then just knowing how to use a mouse can be quite daunting. And I remember when computers first came around, they had to introduce that. Well, no wonder this age of touch screens and voice recognition is scary. My granddad uh, just got WhatsApp today. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Congratulations, granddad. He's made a little family WhatsApp group and... uh, because he's realised that we're not going to send him p- pictures of what we're doing over email anymore. <laughs> but uh, he was telling me about the time when they used to have like car phones and it was revolutionary and you'd had this big massive box that had a phone in it that you could only sort of charge in your car. Yeah, and now it's like, well, we have as much technology as put man on the moon in our pockets all the time. Now, that's insane. Now he's got an iPhone. I don't think he knows how to use it, though. (laughs) Well, I actually think that one of the things that's quite nice about modern technology, even when people come to it later, is that there's a real friendliness to modern technology. So in the kind of 1990s or 2000s, if you wanted to be good at computers, you actually had to be quite technical. Often to be able to do anything serious, you had to know how to code or you had to know where things were hidden. Nowadays, I think there's a real focus on making technology as friendly as possible and as accessible and as instant as possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's teams of UX designers behind every application that you look at um, that is making that is drawing your eye to the thing that they want you to click on and making it completely user-friendly and easy for you. Right, right. But then the flip side of that is I feel like almost our attention spans no longer belong to us. So there are so many different things that are constantly grabbing our attention and molding us to look in certain ways. It's v- very scary, actually, to be manipulated like that. 
And obviously it's no different to advertising or to propaganda or to the news or whatever. But the difference between those things and this is that technology is so omnipresent in our lives that our constant manipulation, I think, has a significant impact on our ability to focus, our ability to concentrate and what we prioritize. Absolutely. I mean, in the past, when you had TV programs and they would have adverts at the beginning of the end, your attention would then be drawn to that for uh, a couple of minutes every half hour or every hour. Now it's literally that they're talking in when they in TV, they now talk about jolts um, and in their attention economy. And whereas before, when TV started out and they would do adverts, they would talk about sort of jolts per minute. And now they're talking about how many jolts, how many times they need to grab your attention per second. That is oh, how wow. many times that they're actually inputting things into adverts and commercial things to kind of say, hey, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. But do you think that that desensitizes us? Do you think that we just become numb to it? Or do you think that we actually do take it all in i think if we are desensitized it's actually sort of transforming into a, a la- like an attention deficit and as such our ability to concentrate i mean everyone t- says that the younger generation has it has a smaller attention span but they actually did a study um microsoft did a study back in 2015 um that basically showed uh, the average person's attention span in two th- the year 2000 used to be 12 seconds. And by 2015, that's literally just a f- 15 year gap, uh, it went down to eight seconds. Right. And that doesn't sound like much, but it's like it's a reduction by a third, isn't it? It's a third reduction, which yeah. if we wait another 15 years, I mean, that, that was already seven years ago. If in another seven years time, they do another test, and we're now down at four seconds because we've been given so many jolts per second that if something doesn't grab our attention within four seconds, we're like gone on to the next thing. But I actually think that the Instagram and Facebook scrolling probably means that we're probably already down to four seconds already anyway. And it's all automated, isn't it? It's like once upon a time, you used to watch a video, fine, and maybe it was designed to grab your attention, but then you'd click onto the next one. Now the next one just plays, and then the next one, and then the next one, whether it's on Netflix, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on TikTok, it's all designed to make us constantly consume content. And that's something that I think is probably quite overloading for our brains. Yeah, absolutely. And we sort of the consumer sees it as a sort of ease of use as a convenience thing so in netflix like it already starts automatically playing the next episode but as a result of that um the companies draw your attention in for long for longer periods of time and they keep you on the same program and they keep you on their same site so actually we say that our attention span is waning but it may be for like one particular uh, sort of subject but we're actually spending hours and we talked last episode about how long we spent how many hours we spend on social media on our screen time on our phones each day and it's like well if you can spend five hours looking at one thing uh, per day surely your attention span is uh, not that low well maybe I mean I also think that the rate information is communicated is much higher so yeah we might be spending less time consuming something but it's all audiovisual now you know it's not like we're just reading Mm. it in a book or listening to it on the radio it's a full interactive consumption 
And I think that that probably does communicate a lot of information as well. So maybe that's what it is. But one thing that I find really interesting is that, you know, there's a whole generation of kids that are growing up now, and this is the only world they'll ever know. And I just think that their brains are so malleable that it's likely to just fundamentally shape the way their brains work. And whether or not this is going to be the permanent state of affairs or whether or not it's going to change, you know, get worse, get better, who knows? I think that's still going to have really far reaching impacts. Yeah, absolutely. And and you look at the science of it and at an early age, I mean, we can't say that our brains were necessarily formed by technology because we only we didn't have smartphones until sort of age 16 or sort of mid-teens whereas whereas these kids nowadays are are using touchscreens from as early as two years old and then you look at the science behind it and you look at how neural pathways and memory and repetitive tasks actually shape and mold what's known as the brain plasticity and Mm -hmm. shape those neural pathways into something that is actually going to look totally different from the brain's of say our parents generation yeah i mean do you think you how do you think you'd be different if you grew up like that i think because i feel like you don't have much of an attention span now (laughs) no 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 absolutely but i'm saying but we are cuspers we are part we are also part of that gen z generation that has grown up with that we are still learning like in our teens our, our brains are still molding and now it's not like just because we're not kids it's not like our brains are not still learning and forming those neural pathways. You look at sort of brain retraining and doing brain exercises and even mental health uh, things like CBT that can actually, by doing repetitive tasks and retraining the brain as such, does help. And yeah. us as young adults, middle-aged adults, even the even older generations, there there is still brain plasticity there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's tons of studies that show that even if you're dealing with something like Alzheimer's um, or Parkinson's, that there is an element of brain plasticity that can be used as a therapeutic tool to try and slow the onset or reduce the effects. So maybe it isn't permanent, um, but it's certainly really, really interesting and i think if people are less aware of it if they just kind of take it as given that's when it kind of creeps in because you can choose to be mindful about all of this stuff but if you don't do it it's not going to happen yeah absolutely and it's interesting you bring up alzheimer's as well because memory is one of those things that technology has changed massively for us so for instance if you were a black cabbie or you had to navigation for instance um, you had to remember how to get home or you looked at your map before you set off and you're like, oh, I've got to take the A14 and then and then this route and this route and I've got to come off at that junction. Your brain actually then holds that information for a lot longer. Whereas if you're relying on, they actually just study in Soho that that they put people in the middle of Soho and, and got them a bit lost and everything. And uh, then the people half of the people were given smartphones and were allowed to use navigation navigational tools and the other half just had to use their intuition and looking at the road maps and the and the street signs and looking at their surroundings in order to uh find out where they were and they also had sort of brain monitors on at the t- at the times to see which synapses were firing and the people who were using 
the technology to help them out um when they were looking like were completely actually their attention to their surrounding area and those parts of the brain that fire in order to sort of they're stimulated by their surroundings were completely dampened down by the fact that they could just rely on their technology and they almost just didn't have to think Mm -hmm. anymore yeah so i found that really interesting it's it's outsourcing, isn't it? There are so many like phone numbers. When's the last time you remembered someone's phone number? Yeah. But I, I I remember when I was at school, I knew all of my best friends' home phone numbers, um, yeah. and obviously all of my family. And you know, it's 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 even going one step further because it's not even memory. It's things that you haven't even remembered you need to remember. Our phones now suggest things for us. Like every single morning, if I'm commuting to work, the second I arrive at the tube station, my phone suggests that I play solitaire because that's the game I play on the tube. Um, No, really? Yeah, 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 it comes up. Um, (laughs) Or it knows, you know, when I'm most likely to check Twitter, when I'm most likely to check my emails. And so all of those things are now being stored in these devices how exceptionally powerful they are you know they that if i lost one i don't even have control over my own habits to the same extent anymore um and i don't even need to tell my phone to do a lot of the things that it does but there we go but that's mental isn't it i mean what is your opinion of whether that's a good or a bad thing there is a lot there is a lot of positivity in outsourcing because it means it frees our brains up for other things and maybe we have time to think about other things rather than um, that event that someone has invited us into the like in the in the future and that meeting that we've got in three days time we can just it just goes automatically into our calendars for my emails now we don't have to think oh right like what what have I got on next week we just like pull it up and it's got it all there for us so we actually by doing this outsourcing may have more space in our brains. Oh, I, I think it's the bee's knees. I mean, I think I, I completely understand where you're coming from in that potentially it's causing our own faculties to decline because we're not using them as much. But if you think about it, in a pre-smartphone era, that's still a thing that if people had the resources, they outsourced. They just got themselves a PA or an assistant or a butler or whoever mm. it was. And so I think it's very democratizing to give everyone that freedom to not have to worry about the little things and to dedicate their attention to the bigger things. And of course, the danger is that the ease with which it happens means that instead of diverting our attention to things that are more meaningful, we just do more and more and more and more and more of all of the little things. Um, (laughs) And then then we end up burned out because we're basically on call 24-7. Yeah, so rather than with all that free time we're getting from not from outsourcing the little things, uh, we're not necessarily using that for extra creative activities. We're just creating more little inane admin things in our lives that we have to deal with anyway. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a really interesting study that I saw recently, and it looks at the impact of productivity gains across businesses in um, a, a number of kind of developed Western countries. And so what I mean by that is as technology improves, then we can get more done with the same amount of time. And what the study found was that in places that it classified as having an Anglo-capitalist model, so predominantly the US, but also to some extent the UK, people still worked the same amount of time, 
but then they would just expect it to do more and then also the businesses would make more money and then also people would earn more but that would be much more intensive mm. whereas in places um, largely across the EU people worked the same amount got the same amount done and then they just had more leisure time so mm. it's kind of up to you in some extent how you spend the benefit of that increase in efficiency but I think you have to be quite proactive about it because if you don't, someone else will make that decision for you and they'll almost always make the decision that you have to work harder for them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've talked a lot recently with friends and family about the work-life balance and actually really advocating to your employers and, and other people for that balance. And as you say, if people think, oh, now because it's easier for you with technology, that you're, because technology is increasing, increasing, increasing year on year, I mean, brain plasticity is not increasing at the same rate as uh, as technology. You're not suddenly able to, like a robot, be able to think three times quicker, you know? Yeah, and you, and you also can't think about three things. Like, one thing that I've noticed a lot with technology is that people just try to multitask a lot. You know, mm. they're constantly keeping their focus on their phones, but also on their conversations, or they might be on a Zoom call, but they're also checking the news, but they're also doing another bit of work. And I, I think that that's actually probably really unproductive. Um, and I, I, I don't think that it makes you more efficient. I just think you trick yourself into thinking that that's what you're doing. Well, actually, what we're doing, although we think we're multitasking, they've done research that your brain is actually just flicking back and forth between one task to the other one task to the other one task to the other you can't actually in your brain think about more than one like consciously hold like think about and focus on one more than one thing at one time and it actually trying to do that wastes both time and productivity because we just end up missing so much and there's not like focusing on one whole it's actually just flicking back and forth in a very shallow way well, I think that kind of brings us around full circle then, doesn't it, as well? Because no wonder that people are doing that because everything in technology is catered to grab our attention all the time. You know, if you're talking to someone, but your phone's constantly pinging because you're getting notifications, it's specifically trying to distract you and to get your attention. It's really hard, actually, to switch off and to focus. And especially nowadays, when the internet is such a big part of what it means to be a business person, to be corporate, just to participate in society, it's very commercialized. And being a commercial person means that you kind of have to be on top of all of it at once. Otherwise, it reflects badly on you. It used to be that you could get on the tube and no one expected you to be contactable until you arrived at your destination. Now, even if you're on the tube, people are expecting you to be connecting to the Wi-Fi at every station and checking your emails. Yeah, I mean, in this way, rather than tech increasing our productivity, it actually just means that we have less time to switch off and in that way more time more likelihood of burning out which i mean is why we're such a big advocate of taking a break and we'll be doing that in just a sec later we'll be discussing mental health online uh the boundary between the real and the virtual which to be honest i think i've been living on the wrong side of that boundary my whole life <laughs> and how we communicate with each other but first over to toby for the cusp of book club and then a short break it's so important for us to take a few minutes or more to have some me time. Be that having a cup of tea, going on a short stroll or reading a book. We're inviting you now to go take that time for yourself. But please, for God's sake, don't go scroll through Instagram. See you in a sec for the second half. 
Hey, it's Toby, and welcome back to the best part of the podcast, which is all things book related. I have two very interesting recommendations for you this week that fall in line with this week's topic of tech and the internet. So, the first one is No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. And this is, I'd say, an auto fiction, so a mashup of autobiography and fiction. And you're taken on a roller coaster of emotions. You'll go from laughing out loud to absolutely sobbing. And Lockwood shows how the rapidly shifting world of social media has forever changed our vocabulary, our politics, our social interactions, and much more. She really delves into how social media and our online presence desensitizes us to tragic events and ultimately changes how we interact with the world and each other when tragedy strikes. The first part of the book is following this celeb that's Twitter famous, essentially, and this section of the book is almost a love letter to avid Twitter users, with all its different references that Lockwood sprinkles in there. So Gen Zs, Millennials, and those of us who are in between the two can really appreciate and get these references, as you're both in on the jokes whilst also simultaneously being the butt of the jokes. Then, in the second part of the book, the protagonist is hit with tragic real-life news and withdraws from social media. And despite her massive online presence and online community, she's facing something super personal, but no one is talking about this. And I hope everyone appreciates how I slid in the title of the book so seamlessly there. And in this section of the book, the isolation of pain and grief is almost too relatable. And also the disconnect, both online and in real life, that comes with occupying a space that isn't comfortable or easy to talk about, grief. And that was extremely relatable too. I will say though that the writing style of this book can be a bit jarring, but the content is good, so I'd still definitely recommend it. And then the second recommendation is Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke by Eric LaRocca. And let me just say, whatever you're expecting from this story, just don't. Put any expectations away, far, far, far away. This is a dark, bizarre novella that will make you never want to befriend or fall in love with someone you met on the internet. So essentially, there are these two women who meet online on this queer forum and they fall in love, but I'll put those in quotation marks because if that's meant to be love, I don't want any part of it, not at all. And then we essentially go from there. I won't say too much more about the plot itself as I don't want to give away spoilers, but just be ready to strap yourself in tight because this is a wild, wild, wild ride. It almost feels like an episode of MTV's Catfished, but on steroids. And there are some very disturbing things in this book, so definitely check out the trigger warnings before diving into it. But ultimately, this was a fun, disturbing read, and I loved the 2000s feel that LaRocca captured with the format and writing style of their story. It's emails, queer forums, and instant messaging conversations, so the nostalgia is just so good. And then the setup was fantastic, as there is this ongoing police investigation, fictional of course, and the author is supposedly collaborating with the police in order to write this piece. And I love how they make it really realistic by redacting certain words and certain events from the story, as if the police has actually asked them to do so for legal reasons. 
And let me just say, put it this way, if the novella was based on real life events, this would 100% have been adapted as a Netflix documentary by now. So definitely check it out. And I'll be back with more bookish content next week. Hi everyone, welcome back. Of course, it would be completely impossible to talk about technology and the way that it shapes society without talking about social media. And one of the things that people talk about a lot, but maybe don't necessarily think about um, from the perspective of teenagers and young people these days is the ways in which it changes our views of ourselves, our body images, our bullying and our self-esteem. One thing that's quite interesting, so the Pew Research Center did a study a a few years ago, and they actually found that nowadays, most teenagers in a way that's quite different to what we would have thought or what um, older generations would think, they actually split almost into three thirds. Uh, one group saying that social media is positive, another group saying that it's in mostly negative. Uh, and the reasons that they talk about things being mostly negative are things like online bullying um, or the idea of um, you know, unrealistic views of other people's lives. And it's and so trolls and trolls. I mean, rumor spreading, um, you know, drama. I think also the uh, anonymity of the internet has a huge impact in the ways that we talk to one another and the ways that we treat each other. The level of decency that we expect in person and the level of decency that we get away with online is very, very different. Well, yeah, exactly. There's uh, a lot in the last year has been acknowledgement of the fact that so many people are behind keyboards um, anonymously and then how there's a lack of accountability for that for the bullying for the hate speech for all of this kind of thing that if it was said in real life if it was said at a conference if it was said in a school would be held completely accountable and only now in the last year or so are police forces and um other other systems taking that just as seriously as if it were happening in real life because it is happening in real life and you do know if you look at the IPN address who is behind that keyboard and they should be held accountable because they are causing serious damage to mental health to self-esteem as you say and it's the same if not worse type of bullying do you think that social media companies you know like meta facebook or google or um, Twitter should do more? Yeah, I think that these companies have a certain duty and they are p- being pulled up a lot in a lot of ways about their duty um, to do more about these things because unlike other companies, unlike schools, unlike governments who are held directly accountable through democracy right. by the people and by being elected and by laws... Um, these companies are relatively new to society and therefore the laws have yet to sort of catch up. I mean, they are doing stuff now, but there's still a long way to go in order for that catch-up to happen to make Facebook and Instagram actually act as law law keepers. And that... But that's... I mean, I'm quite cynical about that because... No one wants to pay for social media. No one wants to pay for the internet. 
And if we're not going to pay for the internet, then these companies who want to make money are going to have to make money by doing things like monetizing the things that we click on. And Mm -hmm. nothing generates clicks like hysteria, nothing generates clicks like conspiracies, and nothing generates clicks like extremism. You have to be so polarized. So I think that they'll always have an incentive to turn a blind eye, except when someone explicitly calls them out on it, because otherwise their whole business model falls to pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I understand that, you know, people have got to make money somehow. Um, but the unfortunate thing is about social media, that it was created um, as a form of technology to bring people closer. And as your poll suggests, only a third of people agree that it does do that. And unfortunately, um, as we all know, if you're on your phone all the time, with the rise of technology, it is causing us to be more distant from our real sort of in-person lives or real in-person relationships. Yeah, although that can be good sometimes. I mean, the internet is a really great way to discover things that maybe you don't have access to in your real life. You know, I just think about people who maybe are gay and they can't come out because they live somewhere very rural or with very conservative parents um so either way they don't have access to that community and the internet's almost like a portal to a magical world where suddenly you can find that and so i think that can be really powerful i think the problem is for every avenue that it opens it also exposes you to what i what i call unreality which is you know, just images that are crafted to seem as natural and as real as possible, but are not authentic at all. I mean, the, even this podcast isn't authentic. Yeah. The And that's not like a secret, but, you know, what the listeners hear isn't what we record. They hear an edited version of that that's strung together to make it seem like we're better at our jobs than we are. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of outtakes, people, and it's actually funnier. <laughs> it's actually funnier. We'll be posting some of them soon. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. I mean, there there are the upsides and the downsides of tech. And as we've talked about before, and um, most recently the pandemic, technology has actually enabled people who couldn't see each other to still talk and still be as close and still be social when actually our physical, social um contact was taken away from us so that that was revolutionary that was something that we would have never had if a if a pandemic happened 10 or 20 years ago and as such i think that it's an incredibly useful tool and we've come so far because of it socially do you ever retouch photos of yourself before you post them online i used to a lot when i was like 15 so odd i would like go with the retouch tool over every single pore on my face and on the bags under my eyes now i don't really care although i probably would just do it black and white because i think that everything looks better in black and white so top tip there from a professional photographer if you (laughs) if you're having if you're having a breakout put it in black and white oh yeah i've got lots of you know shadows on my face and contrast looks good I don't know. I just think it's. I just think it's so normalised. You know, I, I can't think of a single time that, at least in my friendship groups, where if we're taking a photo, we don't take a bunch of them and then we pass them around until everyone is happy and that's the version that gets. 
shared and everything else has to be deleted or hidden. And I don't think maybe in that moment we think of what we're doing as contributing to a selective reality or an unreality. Mm. But how is that any different from retouching your photos? You know, it's like you're selectively choosing one that only portrays certain aspects of yourself to give across an image. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. While we're on the subject of photography, you used to have everyone just used to work in film and you'd only have a certain amount of shots on your camera and you'd have to get the right shot at the right time. And a lot of them would turn like if you're working with people, people move, people have different reactions and you don't have thousands and thousands of takes unless you can afford all those rolls of film and have all that time to develop them. Um, But nowadays, technology has just made it so, so different and so much easier to take 100 photographs when you only need one. Yeah. And actually, that selection process is, is crazy nowadays. People, in order to get the perfect photo, rather than good enough being good enough. And that has come up, come about because of the rise of of digital photography, and and how much that has improved, which has been amazing. And you can you can get amazing cameras on your phone and amazing editing tools on your phone, but it does purport um, things that lead to lack of self esteem because you could be scrolling through your phone and like everyone looks amazing, everyone looks so natural and effortless, but in actual fact. I always love looking at the behind the scenes stuff and looking at how many, all the shit photos that they've taken, all the stuff, all the crap that they've taken out. That's actually my favourite part of thing, of uh, of media. And in actual fact, the rise of sort of behind the scenes content and authentic content is very popular. Although saying that, there's a lot posing as behind the scenes and authentic content that also is then scripted and not authentic itself yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. I mean, it's just it's just like levels and levels of crazy isn't it is that we everyone's identified that being authentic is important but is still so determined to contrive and control the way that they're perceived that they mm. it's like a staged candid it's people are now doing staged behind the scenes videos you know it's it's like the it's like yeah. the um social media equivalent of no makeup makeup where you're so determined to tell people that you don't even you're above retouching yourself but you're still trying to it's not authentic it's not real you know real is what my phone sees every single time i unlock it with my face which is a double chin and up my nostrils and i'm breaking out in spots and it's like it's craziness that's how people look and that's fine actually but what's also crazy with the rise of technology is they now do such amazing work with face recognitions and, and other things like that, that, that designers have created filters on Instagram that can change your entire face structure. Oh, yeah, 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 right? yeah. And you can now film in this and you can now film with an entirely different face that looks very, very realistic. Like if you did not know what that person looked in real life, you'd be like, oh, yeah, they're pretty. Yeah. And then they take it away and they're like a totally different person and it was so convincing. And that is a real problem. Well, that is a real, real, real problem. And it's also stuff like deep fakes where they're able to map one person's face onto someone else's face and make it seem like it's a video of them saying something or doing something. And it's not. It's completely computer generated, but it looks real. And I mean, mm. you know, th- there's been a big discussion in the media. Like a- 
like a cat talking what you're saying or something well have I, you seen those ones i have not what no what you can basically record yourself talking and then take a picture of or a video a picture of your cat and then it will um move your cat's mouth and facial expressions to the words that you're saying shall we record a promo for this podcast via cat (laughs) (laughs) yes i've got a good perfect cat model (laughs) perfect cat model um but uh but back to what i was saying you know so the like that's really important for things like politics where videos go round and it's just oh well here's what hillary clinton said here's what joe biden said but it's not them at all um or one thing that i find really disgusting is um so what they'll do is they'll take celebrity faces and they'll put them onto porn actors and so there'll be pornography that has people like actual celebrities faces on and it looks completely authentic but it's computer generated and it's a really Mm -hmm. I think it's a really violating form of identity theft in a way because obviously that's not real and no one's I guess sort of quote-unquote been hurt no real person's been hurt except Mm. the image of the person has been taken away from them and they have no control over that they have no agency over that and that's super scary to me especially if they're doing something or saying something in said video or picture that they wouldn't feel comfortable doing or or saying and it's all about this thing which is that you know we're talking about the boundary between the real and the virtual but also there's now a boundary between truth and lie that's also blurred you know once Mm. upon a time it used to be that if something was on the internet you kind of didn't trust it and then after a while it was like oh no it's on the internet the internet's a bit more serious now it's a bit more mature and we kind of do trust it and it's we've almost come full circle again where you can't trust anything anymore. There's so many pictures I see every day. And because I know about retouching, you can see, they're like, oh my God, this crazy river full of crocodiles and this person's about to fall in the river. I don't know if you've seen a specific one like that, but you can actually see if you look close and everyone's comment, you can see the comments, everyone's commented like, oh my God, crazy, that's so dangerous. That's the most crazy thing I've ever seen in my life, blah, blah, blah. But you can look at the edit on it and you can look at the colour of the water from that part of the section mm-hmm. with the crocodiles in it. And then there's a bit around the corner that's like completely, it's like more of a flat, calm, still day on that river. And you can see that it's just like a completely separate video superimposed onto another video that makes it look like the person is dangling over a river full of crocodiles. And it's completely false. But everything you read in the comments shows that people believe what they're seeing which is false yeah and it's and it's crazy i mean there is part of me that thinks that that is sort of deceptive but at least that's sort of innocent fraud this this particular example is innocent but i'm more talking about the power of technology mm-hmm. to create such convincing images and video nowadays what's what's scary is that there's video nowadays that can be edited to such an extent that it looks real yeah um because before you could always clip and and paste and photoshop things but actually the fact that you can now photoshop video i think is very scary because you would think a video is good evidence of something being authentic but now we're being shown that video now is not a reliable source of authenticity 
I think back to, um, you know, movies like uh, Jurassic Park, for example, which mm-hmm. obviously dinosaurs aren't real and they had to, you know, CGI the dinosaurs in. They made these huge puppets. Back oh, in... I was so scared. I thought they were real. <laughs> I, I was terrified. That is Nightmares. Some... That years. is some scary. That is scary shit. It is literally terrifying, and I don't understand why they keep building a new Jurassic Park. Like, just let the dinosaurs die, please. I went. I went to the Natural History Museum the other day, and the, you know, there's that T Rex that's moving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Life size T Rex with its tiny little hands. That's like, rawr. and uh, I'm like 26 years old. <laughs> I'm filled with this childhood sense of fear that the dinosaurs are now back and they and I can hear this thumping, 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 like you do in Jurassic Park and they're suddenly gonna like be- appear behind the trees. I'm literally obsessed Fucking with Fucking T Rex. I'm obsessed with di- actually I'll show you how obsessed with dinosaurs I am. Hang on. <laughs> this is where we differ because I'm terrified. Look at this. I keep And you have a dinosaur book. What is it called? The The rise and fall of the dinosaurs. (laughs) I'm learning something new about you every day. Oh, no, I I was that kid who would run around the playground pretending to be a dinosaur. Um, Do us your best impression. That's absolutely not (laughs) happening. No, you you published something last week of me singing on autotune, so you have to do an impression now of a dinosaur. What kind of of dinosaur do you want? Velociraptor. Okay, so I think a velociraptor would be... Okay, so fun fact... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm so ready for that. No, 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 but fun fact The Velociraptors in um, Jurassic Park Are like three times the size of a real Velociraptor So a real Velociraptor is actually the size of a chicken um, Are they tiny? They are tiny And the actually, since Jurassic Park They discovered um, A couple of other raptors that are in the same family that are that kind of size. So one of them is the Utah raptor, the other is Dionynicus. But um, the <laughs> Velociraptor itself would have been much smaller. And so Do I. Do us your best small Velociraptor impression then. So it would. Uh, okay, I, I'm method, let me get into character. Okay. <laughs> For those listening, Nish is doing the hand actions too. And I'm currently perched on my, I'm perching on my um, chair. I want to record this. I, 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 I'm on my tiptoes as well, but that's only because Velociraptors um, have, well, you don't care about the, the bone structure of Velociraptor feet. Anyway, it's a, it's like a... <laughs> but we'll never know. We have no way of knowing. Well, I'm making inferences based on my am- amateur hobbyist knowledge. This is amazing. Do you know what? When this when we all amazing content when, for the people. When we all when we all opt out of this terrible terrible reality and decide to live full time in the metaverse, I'm just gonna live as a dinosaur. You're gonna live in the Jurassic era. I'm gonna live in the Jurassic era, and I'm gonna walk around as a thirteen foot high virtual like Spinosaurus or something. Oh, wow. It's not the dinosaur I would have picked for you, but anyway. Oh, I love Spinosaurus. Do you know that it's um, <laughs> the only known dinosaur that has the ability to swim? 
um, uh, uh, and that is known to be seafaring. So they recently did a study where they... So you didn't like swimming? Well, I don't, but in the metaverse, I don't have to actually swim. Oh, I see. What do you think of the metaverse? I mean, talk to me about the metaverse, because I don't really understand it. I think it's a li- I think no one cares, actually. <laughs> do you remember back in, back in like, 2000 and... I don't know, like, the early 2000s, when everyone was on those, like online game like neopets or club penguin or world of uh warcraft yes. or second life it's l- and you could see people's names above them it's, i did the penguin one it's like that club penguin. it's like that but with a vr headset and run by facebook so you're just a virtual avatar of yourself and you can go and hang out with people and have normal conversations with them in virtual spaces and you can meet your colleagues in virtual business rooms. And it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely the, 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 the buzzword of the moment is the metaverse in Silicon Valley. But then it also looks really late. <laughs> okay, so I would say, yes, it is the buzzword in Silicon Valley. But I would say that the rest of the world and our generation and Caspers and Gen Z and stuff don't really care. It almost seems like... They are dads trying to still be relevant in the social media world, and but actually, by trying too hard, are actually just seeming uncool. Yeah, I think it's because it's so corporate. You know, like all of those things that we described, they were just run by st- essentially like startups in this kind of wild west, and they were like, oh, we're going to create something really cool. Whereas this is. Yeah like one of the world's largest companies creating something that's so bland um and i don't know there's a part of me that's that's either gonna have to eat my words in five years when the metaverse is just a part of our lives or it's going to be like 3d movies you know it seems like it's going to be huge and that it isn't well we we sort of said that about cryptocurrency and everything like that and and but then now people who aren't getting on it are being left behind so I don't know whether I'm going to eat my words, but I probably, it's, it doesn't, it's just not me. I don't want to live in a virtual reality. I really sort of benefit from that human physical face-to-face contact and sort of talking to someone in person and a physical hug and just walking around physically like it's good for you it's good for you to get sunshine and exercise and stimulation rather than just sitting in front of a desk all day yeah there's a lot to be said for the difference between real and virtual nearly so nearly half of british adults say that they believe people are getting more lonely with time um and almost Mm -hmm. four in ten people actually themselves report feeling depressed from being lonely and you know in the digital world it's this it's the paradox of the digital world is that the more we get connected to other people the more it can exacerbate loneliness in people i think and there is a really Mm. big part of that that does perpetuate itself in this virtual world I just can't believe how much money people are spending on things that don't exist. That's what really gets me. Like NFTs, you're just owning the idea of something. It's crazy. And you were telling me before about the metaverse, how people are actually buying real estate in the metaverse that doesn't exist for, what was it? 
Oh, like like so some like some of the um, virtual property plots in the metaverse now retail for more than actual houses in the United States. So they're hundreds of thousands right. of dollars. But I get it. I mean, it's, it's no different to once upon a time, people would have paid loads of money to have the advert on the front page of the Times or to be the most promoted on a TV show. So it's... Yeah, but the thing is, in a, in a virtual reality world, it's not like you just run out of billboard space. It's not like you run out of land to build a ho- like housing developments on. You can keep on and keep on producing more virtual reality space. But they're, if they're still charging the same amount for uh, real estate in this virtual reality, it's completely going to go through the roof. Yeah. Exponentially. Well, on the other hand, in the metaverse, we'll never have to get out of bed to go on a date. It's true. Well, you don't have to. Any, well, to go on a date, yes. But um, to have a date, no. Most of the most <laughs> of the most of the time, if people are lonely, they spend all their time uh, just swiping left or right on dating apps. Anyway, do who you... actually? I mean, single people out there. How much time do you actually spend on on dating apps as opposed to going on a physical date? Uh, well, I, I've not been single for many years, so you tell me <laughs> how much Ooh, ta- you. how much time do you spend on dating apps? <laughs> I don't. Well, I think there's only been one period of my life when I went on them, and actually, for me, the swiping and and everything was more fun i think on that whole period of time i went on two dates Mm -hmm. and that was it as like from those dating apps whereas dating in real life there's a lot more success rate if you've already met them in person um the amount of matches that i would get versus the amount of dates i went on was was crazy but i know that that nowadays you almost have to rely on dating apps um, in order to sort of see anyone because everyone's sort of so absorbed in their own worlds. Unless something's planned beforehand, nothing can really happen. Like because of technology, nothing can really happen spontaneously in the real world. Well, you can't just like go up to someone and talk to them in a bar. But why is that? I mean, you could. I, I mean, you could. I couldn't think you? people just hide it. You could, but I think there's now more of a tendency to sort of hide hide behind phones and hide behind technology until, I don't know, you feel comfortable enough or bored enough to suggest meeting in person. Yeah, maybe. Which dating apps did you use? <laughs> um, Tinder's the classic, but I think that has gone out of style now. That was a few years back. And then Hinge is quite popular in London at the moment, apparently. And Bumble was around for a while where women would have to chat first, which terrified me because I don't, I'm not a messenger. (laughs) There's so many unread messages on my phone that if I had to message first, it just wouldn't happen. (laughs) Um, But yeah, what do you think of online dating? Well, online dating has gone through, I think, a bunch of eras because some online, like actual online dating websites as opposed to apps, some of them have been around for like 30, 40 years now. Um, Hmm. So 
that's very different because I think those have been a bit slower and have been much more about really getting to know someone before meeting them. Mm-hmm. Apps are all about spontaneity, but I think that the way that they commoditized people into like swiping left or right has mm. made the swiping more addictive than the meeting. So yeah, well, this is what I was talking about. What I would do that was actually more enjoyable than actually going on a date with someone. Um, but I mean, it is go- it is affecting us. I think making love and dating and relationships into this commodity that is available to use on these apps that is advertised is then um, taking us away from from the real world life. And there is no substitute for a real world relationship and a physical touch and physical contact. And... and, um, I mean, yeah, there's people over the years through these dating websites who've had an online relationship for years and never met. But I, th- I, I am of the opinion that there is no substitute for in life real person. Well, well, I also know. So I also know people who have had long term relationships digitally, and then when they've had to transition that to being in person, they actually found that transition quite difficult. So. Mm. That's not to say that it's better or worse, because every person's relationship with any other person is completely unique. But I think that we should be careful about what digital dating might be masking, and we can't just act as though it's exactly the same. It isn't. It's different. It has its benefits and it has its disadvantages. Yeah, and as we've been talking all episode, tech has its advantages and disadvantages. And we've got to be careful of the pitfalls rather than just following sort of that it does make our lives more easier. I mean, you now see in long distance relationships, people who live in two separate countries, you see that their relationships are completely transformed by the ease of communication nowadays. You can actually FaceTime people like every day. Um, Whereas in my, like my grandma, my, my granddad used to be off sailing around the world um, back in the day when he was having his first children and didn't see his first child for the first year of his life. And my my nan was, was recounting to me how she had to send send a, a thing through that would, allow, they, that would then call her house phone, that would then call his sort of line in the ship and she'd have to wait for like 20 minutes for them to go find him and all of this and then they would have two minutes to talk and maybe like once every two weeks and that was it yeah whereas now we're on facetime like a couple of times a day and like completely living in the lives of our unable to sort of almost have a bit of normality with our partners um and they're not physically there I think that's so interesting. Yeah, and as somebody who is in that position and whose partner lives in another country, I'm so glad that technology has enabled me to record an hour-long podcast every week to just broadcast at him, you know, just like, here you are, I win. Because <laughs> he's our only listener, right? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to, to, to our biggest fan. Um, 
But that's not true. We have many more listeners. And of course, we always want our listeners to feel like they're part of our community. Um, so do become part of the Cusper Club by following us at Cusper Club on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, please leave your thoughts and comments on today's episode. And if anything in particular has resonated with you, feel free to DM or email us at cusperclub at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast wherever you listen to it. It helps us to grow our podcast and it helps other people to find us too. To finish off, we're going to jump to our resident music producer and good friend Culls. He'll be introducing our track of the week. But for now... She's been Hannah. And he's been Nish. We're Cuspers. And you've been listening to The The Cusper Club. Club. Now a nigga cotton tail Money hopping back to all the major things I always seem to try and always fail Might as well Tired of losing failures getting kind of stale I guess I should fuck that We're gonna make a comeback Oh no, 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 no. We're gonna make a comeback Cusper Club is hosted by Nish Hegde and Hannah Goldsmith The Cusper Book Club is run by Toby Adadiran Of Toby's Book Corner on YouTube Definitely go and check her out And our track of the week as ever Is presented by Coles To check out our track of the week, follow the links in our bio to find our Spotify and Apple Music playlists, or simply go and search for that artist yourself, we'll have a link in all of our social media. But for now, here's to Coles. See you next week. This week's track of the week comes from internet collective Room Noise with their song Sweat. Remember, you can find it and all of our tracks on Apple Music and Spotify playlists. You're now listening to Sweat, track of the week for Cusper Club. To listen to the rest of this song, search for Criminal Music and Room Noise with the song Sweat, or follow the link in our bio on socials to find it on our Spotify and Apple Music playlists.